Daniels. It is Sunday, June 30th, 2019, and it's a little bit overcast and windy here in Panama, and we just had a pretty firm earthquake, about a six-point-something or other on that scale they use. Um, but I survived it. All is well. That does kind of uh, <clears throat> make you wonder a little bit. All right, and today's topic is why... Patients should become consumers. Now, this is prompted, of course, by uh, the usual information source, Medscape, Family Medicine. Those are the people who are authorities in the medical space and are totally authorized to give out what is uh, believed to be the truth. And we have our favorite person here, uh, Dr. Arthur Kaplan, at the New York University School of Medicine. I was admitted to that school years and years ago, but did not go into another school instead. And he's in charge of ethics. <laughs> he's in charge of ethics. Now, his position is exactly the opposite of mine. He says, no, patients are not consumers and doctors are not providers. That he's correct. Patients are not consumers and doctors are not providers. And we're going to talk about why patients are not consumers and why doctors are not providers, or even better, who they're providing for, and how you can escape that situation and why you should. This is very, very important. But first, we're going to see if we can possibly uh, say hello to Facebook. Today at 11 p.m. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. So we got 11 p.m. instead of 11 a.m. Uh, admin only. Let's see if we can change the time on this. Um, if they're going to let me. Uh, edit schedule. It says 10 a.m. Uh, how do we start it? Foiled again. <laughs> Looks like there might not be a Facebook. Oh. Uh, now let's see. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to allow a video today. All right. So uh, that's pretty much the end of that. So Facebook, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to put comments on or, or anything, but let's just go on with the show, I guess. All right, here's the deal. Art Kaplan is correct that patients are not consumers and that doctors are not providers. That is just, uh, unfortunately, the truth of it. So let's go through his situation, his, his position, and explain what he's talking about, why he's correct, and what the... Uh, solution or alternative might be. All right. And so he was prompted to comment by a recent article by the Hastings Center, a bioethics think tank in New York. And they said the author said they didn't think that patients should be viewed as consumers. 
And, you know, I think everyone agrees with that. You cannot argue with that for many reasons, some of them troubling. So Art Kaplan, Dr. Kaplan, agrees with the argument and also says doctors should not be viewed or referred to as providers. So in our healthcare system, more and more, the language of business is shaping and changing descriptions of what doctor-patient encounters are all about. <coughs> and this is true. Uh, that was the, so when I was in medical school, which is back in 79-83, the whole language of medicine was shaped by military police language. We're going to kill that virus. We're going to quarantine this. We're going to um, intercept that. So everything, all the language was militaristic uh, police-type language. The good guys, the bad guys. But now, it's all changed to a business-type language. And um, so this language is shaping the doctor-patient encounters. And part of this language, one piece of important vocabulary, is the word consumer. And so the Hastings scholar said talking about patients as consumers implies choice and activity that patients and would-be patients do not engage in. I'll even go further. Not only do they not engage in, but to a large extent they don't have. For example, you don't have a choice about vaccination in many cases. Um, you don't have a choice about having your baby at home or at the hospital, again, in many cases. So the lack of choice is a real issue. And often this uh, corrals people into decisions that are deadly. So, for example, and Kaplan gives an example, if I'm a consumer, I might be buying beer or trying to figure out where to go on vacation or what hotel to stay in. I can search websites, find information on products. I can certainly price shop a little bit if I choose to and find the best deal. So a patient, a would-be patient, often has no choice. Now, why does the patient have no choice? More and more, the patient has no choice because he's paid to have no choice. He's actually delegated that choice where? Uh, to his insurance company or to the government. And actually, when he delegates it to the insurance companies, it's indirectly delegated to the government because all the insurance companies are uh, regulated and certified and permitted by the government. So they're in a system and told to go to this hospital clinic or practice. They don't have any choice about what to do. If you're beset by a sudden health problem, you don't have time to go shopping to see what orthopedist or diabetologist you want to see. You might quickly receive recommendations from friends or your primary care doctor, but you're not going to act like a consumer. So consumer behavior is not characteristic of our healthcare system because, in all honesty, it's not really a market-driven business. You got to get this. It's not a market-driven business. And so the question would be, what market? And the market, if you if you look at patients as the market that's being served, it is definitely not a market-driven business. Uh, let me just dig into this a little more. So market-driven means that people who receive the service can make a bigger demand on the service or a lesser demand on the service, and that's going to influence the revenue in that industry sector. In healthcare, this is pretty much not the case. Because most people have insurance. What does that mean? It means the service has already been paid for. So the person's desire to pay at the time of service has nothing to do with business profit. This is important to understand. So in 0708, this happened, by the way. People, because of the crash in 08, said, whoa, why did I cut back? And they, and they quickly cut back on health care. And that's why the Obamacare Act had to be uh, passed to compel and force people to pay for health care that they had already decided, market decision, not to pay for. And so what this did then was it removed health care from market sensitivity and volatility, guaranteeing, guaranteeing revenues. So the health care system doesn't have the information, which is not true, and the patients are not in a position to do the shopping or research that would lead them to act like it was a market. And that is correct. The patients are not in a position. They have put themselves in a position, have elected to be in a position of not being able to do the shopping or the research that would lead them to act like it was a market. And the healthcare system, of course, does not give patients the information. They're very 
firm about not providing the information. In fact, if you go online, you can go to um, the doctor websites about drugs, and they will actually have a tab, provider information and patient information. The patient information is totally sanitized, has nothing, uh, doesn't even list the serious hazards associated with the drug, but you click on the doctor information tab or provider information tab, like, whoa, whoo, this thing is dangerous. So, yes, there's a big uh, program in place to keep information from the patients so they cannot become consumers. And so Dr. Kaplan says, I think they're much more vulnerable and more dependent. And why is this true? Again, because they don't have the information. And they choose not to get the information. <coughs> also, they are not paying for the service at the time that it's rendered. If they were paying for the service at the time it was rendered, they could quickly assess that this x-ray for $10,000 is not worth knowing about a condition that has no treatment. Just saying. So they're more frequently in the dark, and they often have no choice. And why are they in the dark? They're in the dark, one, because of censorship, but two, because they are not paying. So if you're at the time of service, you've got a bill presented with, or honestly, you're, you're told, hey, to purchase this x-ray, it's going to cost you $10,000. You're going to quickly say, whoa, 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 where can I get 10000 from? That's one question. Another question is, why should I get $10,000? What's the x-ray going to tell? Uh, and if they get the x-ray, it tells whatever. What's the therapy? And all of these things will uh, lead you to make a decision. And so since patients don't have the information, they're not in a financial position of vulnerability, they're not motivated to even get the information or ask the questions. So the emergency room you wind up in is not something you shop for online. More and more, though, that is becoming the case, and I think it should be the case. And when I was in the wilderness practicing in northern Wisconsin, people actually did that. They we didn't have internet back then, but they would actually call around to see who was the doctor in the emergency room, and that would inform their decision of whether or not to come to the emergency room, or whether to put off the emergency room visit for a few more hours until a doctor they had more confidence in was on call. So he says, I really think we should stop talking about our patients as consumers. Doctors should be referred to as physicians, not as providers. Let's just stop right now. So he says, I really think we should stop talking about patients as consumers. Au contraire, I think we should encourage patients to step up to the plate to elevate their participation in their health care, at least elevate it to the level of consumer. And to many people, that's a shock. If most people say, oh, you know, consumers, you look down on consumers, oh, they just consume. Yeah, but the patient is even operating at a far lower level than the consumer. Just take the consumer put a blindfold on them, tie their hands behind their back, and empty their pockets. That's a patient. And that's a very dangerous place to be in, especially when each time someone takes something out of your pocket, they get to stab you with a needle or slice you with a knife. So uh, patients are in a seriously deadly position. And the medical industrial complex itself says, hey, we are the, lead, the third leading cause of death. We confess. We admit it. Of all the things in America you could die of, AIDS included, the doctor is more dangerous. So this is the, the position the patients are in in 2019 is a very vulnerable and deadly position. And they should at least elevate it to the level of consumer. Uh, doctors should be referred to as physicians, not as providers or other business prescriptions. Again, the doctors don't provide anything of benefit to the patient. And this is a problem. And I think that... We, that uh, the problem also is the term provider broadens, is more broad than physician, okay? So provider means it could be a nurse practitioner, it could be a doctor, a physician, it could be a physician assistant, it could be your grandmother, it could be anybody, the term provider. And so the problem with the term provider is it takes a tremendous amount of power away from the physician and does not provide exclusivity. But the other thing the word provider does is it puts pressure 
on that individual to provide something. Like, well, what are you providing? What the heck are you doing? And so it frees the recipient, who's now a consumer, to ask, well, what are you, what are you providing me? What am I getting out of this? Whereas now you have a physician, you have a patient, blindfolded, hands behind his back, pockets open, who gets assaulted each time his pockets are picked and has, he may have some choice, but again, if you're blindfolded, blindfolded with your hands behind your back, you don't have the ability to even see the choices or exercise them. So there's the patient. Then you have the physician who has no obligation to provide anything of benefit. And again, all he's doing is uh, stabbing and slicing and poisoning the patient each time he reaches into his pockets. And I say the physician uh, metaphorically because it could be the hospital or the drug company, the major big players now in the, in the, in the market, or even worse, the insurance company. <laughs> well, that's another story. So we should not prefer as, as, as providers or other business descriptions. Again, the provider, at least, that presumes an obligation to provide. And then that raises the next question, which is what is being provided. Whereas when you just use the term physician, there is no obligation to provide anything. And there's no room for inquiry as to what's being provided. And so if what the physician, physician is providing is the third leading cause of death in the United States, like, whoa, 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 do I really want to receive that? And if I'm going to receive that, do I really want to pay for that? I mean, why not get killed for free? You know what I mean? Why pay for it? So now it's provides for other business descriptions. So again, the move towards the term providers is actually going to provide an increased measure of safety for this patient who has now evolved into a consumer. And so Kaplan totally, totally is against that. I know everyone's excited about these days about bringing in practice from industry, practices from industries such as the hotel industry where we try to get patient satisfaction by having better meals or nicer sheets. <laughs> How about fewer injuries, fewer complications, fewer deaths? But again, he trivializes this by making it seem um, frivolous, which of course is not. And so the patients are, yes, better meals are nice. Yes, nicer sheets are nice. And there are hospitals in the United States who have better, better meals and nicer sheets, but not necessarily better outcomes. And so what patients are really interested in is what's the outcome? How many of these surgeries has this doctor done? How many complications has this doctor had? That's what they want to know. And what he's basically doing is denying them access to any and all of this information under the pretense of trivializing it to the level of nicer sheets and better meals. So I trained at a hospital, Chester Hill Hospital in Philadelphia, or actually just outside Philadelphia in Chester Hill, of course, which was a hospital for the rich and not so famous. So people have tons and tons of money, but we're not well known, which is you know, just the way many people would like it to be. However, their hospital was atrociously dangerous, but the sheets were nicer, meals were better, and the atmosphere was uh, much nicer than, say, the, the teaching hospital atmosphere. So he says, I'm worried about that trend because I don't think hospitals should become hotels. <laughs> they should become places where infections are low. Treatment is efficient and people are comfortable given what we have to do there. Given what we have to do there. So given that we're stabbing, slicing, and poisoning people, and given that we're the third leading cause of death, we'd like people to be as comfortable as possible and treatment as efficient as possible and infections low so we can continue the maiming and the killing. And so he's bothered by a marketing push that would make hospitals like hotels. Well, if only a hospital could at least be as safe as a hotel. We are going to... No, please don't go. Folks, we're living in a world the likes of which we've never perceived any clearer than we do now. The plan for global governance has been in the works for generations and would have likely been achieved by now but for the fact that the globalists left open their Achilles heel. 
with all their tools, Federal Reserve System, fiat currency, no child left behind, and then Common Core education introduced to our schools to dumb us down. Vaccines, pharmaceuticals to lobotomize us, GMO foods, insertion of compromised or bought and paid for politicians, judges, mainstream media propaganda, all pieced together like a puzzle designed to ultimately bring the world under submission. But with all their strategy, they forgot one thing, knowledge and knowledge is power. With knowledge, their bombardment is nullified. Folks, with that, as brilliant and knowledgeable as you've become, among the wisest audience of any radio audience in the world, and you are, I want you to take a moment to reflect and ask yourself, how much of that knowledge did I obtain from Republic Broadcasting Network? How high has my consciousness been raised since I've been a listener? How fast am I now able to discriminate truth from fake news by being a Republic Broadcasting listener? How clear am I now able to see the world since I've been listening to RBN? Ask yourselves those questions, folks. Then ask yourself, what is that knowledge worth to me? Like my morning coffee, how would I survive without it? A voice of truth and a sea of lies. Do we not all need to make sure it survives? Like public broadcasting, we are now finding we can only survive with listener support. Censorship, advertisers being attacked, truth itself being attacked. It's the only way through this. We at Republic Broadcasting humbly ask you to become a supporter. Look at your budget and make a determination of what Republic Broadcasting is worth to you and what you can afford on a monthly basis. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and pledge 20, 30, 40, 50, if possible, 100 a month or more if it's affordable. Click the Donate button and become a regular monthly donor. Assure both us and yourself that Republic Broadcasting Truth will continue to flow like that morning coffee. The network thanks you. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not, or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Give such delight We all leave before morning light Please don't go Hi, this is Dr. Daniels, and welcome back to Healing with Dr. Daniels. And today's topic is why patients should become consumers and how to make that transition. And it could and probably would save your life. Now, Facebook is just joining us. We just finally figured out a workaround hack. So we're uh, looking at you know, Medscape's uh, article by Art Kaplan that patients are not consumers. It's trying to catch up with people uh, from Facebook. And everything Art Kaplan says is, of course, correct. However, it is for these very reasons that healthcare is so dangerous, because the patient is not a consumer, because the patient is nothing more than a pinata with a blindfold, hands behind his back, pockets open, being bashed, assaulted, even killed by the medical industrial complex. Again, as we mentioned before, the medical industrial complex itself says, hey, we are the third leading cause of death, right? More deadly than diabetes, more deadly than AIDS, more deaths than homicides, guns or no guns. And um, yet, the patient should not be a consumer. The patient should not have a uh, choice. And what he says also is the patient does not have choice, which is true. The patient does not have choice. And so let's get back to his article and make sure we've covered uh, everything he has to say. 
All right. So he doesn't think hospitals should become hotels. As I mentioned before, I think if hospitals could have a, a death rate or kill rate uh, akin to hotels, that would be enviable. I think that's a worthy aspiration to make hospitals as safe as hotels. But uh, Kaplan is worried about this trend. He doesn't want hospitals to become as safe as hotels. <laughs> so overall, I don't want to replace medical ethics and medical professionalism with business jargon and business ethics. I don't think that serves patients well. So he doesn't want to replace medical ethics, which is doctors and committees making decisions, deciding what's right and wrong, and medical professionalism, the doctor's authority perch, with business jargon and business ethics, where the patient at least has the choice to not consume. And right now, the patients have lost that, that choice. And he doesn't think that this choice serves patients well. I think it starts to have implications for how to operate the system, which are not good for physicians. That's true, it's not good for physicians, because it starts to make them feel more like pawns or agents. Well, doctors are already pawns and agents, and that's an important thing to understand. So your doctor is a pawn and an agent of the government and of the insurance company. And this, his status is actually, in many people's eyes, concealed, because the doctor holds a license from some authority patients are not, haven't really concretely thought about, they think of the doctor as somehow independent. But because the doctor has a license, and it's not from some vague authority, it's from the government, he's not independent. He is totally a pawn and an agent of the government. However, the insurance companies are now the total source of his funds. So he becomes a pawn of the government and of the insurance company. And the drug companies are quickly losing out because all they've got to offer the doctor is, well, some pens and a few lunches. However, the drug companies have a tremendous amount of control over the licensure process. So you've got this doctor who's a pawn or agent for three entities, the government, the drug companies, and the insurance companies. Those are the major ones. And then if he has privileges at a hospital that's permission to do surgery to slice people. There's a fourth entity of which he's an agent. So the doctor is not an agent, not a double agent, but a quadruple agent. You can imagine the stress, and that's the stress of being a doctor. But the point is, you see in that list, uh, the patient is not on that list. So the doctor is not the patient's agent. He absolutely is not the patient's agent. In other cases where the individual authority figure you're talking to, like say a policeman, the policeman is clear. You're a suspect, and he is, the policeman is not your agent or acting on your behalf. So the police actually has to give you this little warning saying what you say can and will be used against you. The doctor, who's an agent of those four entities, should also give you the same warning, right? But that's not what happens. So what Kaplan is advocating for is to conceal the doctor's position as an agent. And so... We don't have disclosure because, well, the patient's not a consumer, so they'll need disclosure. So that doesn't say, hey, I'm a government agent because I have a license from the government and I have to act in accordance with that license, even if that action is against the better interests of the patient. Oh, I'd like to disclose I have hospital privileges that I have to maintain, even if that means doing unnecessary procedures that may not be in the interest of the patient. Oh, wait, you have insurance. I have to follow your insurance company's instructions, even if it may not be in your best interest. And so these disclosures would be necessary, would be clear, and would be made if the patient was not a patient. If the patient was a consumer, you'd have to have this disclosure. And so this disclosure does not take place. And uh, it leaves the patient in a state of confusion, thinking the doctor is working on his behalf. And the doctor will tell you, oh yes, I am working on your behalf within the limitations of my license, your insurance company, <laughs> the hospital, and the drug companies. And when you get through with all those um, limitations, that's what gives you the medical industrial complex being your doctor, being the entree 
to the third leading cause of death because the doctor has to assist the patient, if you want to call it that, or let's say interact with the patient within those four very cumbersome large constraints. And any benefit to the patient is, well, accidental. And again, that's why it's the third leading cause of death. And so he says, I don't think this serves patients well uh, to let them make decisions. It starts to have implications for how to operate the system, which are not good for physicians. Again, not good for physicians. Uh, excuse me, raise your hand. <laughs> Time for a question. What about what's good for the patients? I uh, forget them. <laughs> because it starts to make them feel more like pawns or agents. But again, it makes them feel like, well, they're already pawns and agents. But we don't want doctors to feel like pawns and agents without professional standing and without the respect and authority that go with the profession. Again, this is exactly what he's saying. Is, is it the doctor's authority gets eroded. The doctor's respect gets eroded. But again, if someone's delivering the third leading cause of death, delivering something more than 10 times as deadly as AIDS, then should they have the respect and should they have the authority of the individuals that they're killing? I don't know. That's, that's a question that uh, people have to answer for themselves. How much respect and authority do they think an individual 10 times, actually 20 times more deadly than AIDS should have. That's a personal decision. And so, and so Dr. Kaplan says, I know that medicine has to involve money. I'm not naive about that. <laughs> but it doesn't mean we have to invoke a business framework when we're trying to make decisions about how best to serve patients. Stop right there. I know that medicine has to involve, involve money. Maybe medicine does. What about healing? Does healing have to involve money? A mother making garlic tea for her child, does that need to involve a transaction? A mother deciding not to give her kid dairy so he won't get ear infections, by the way, it's more effective than, than antibiotics, does that need to involve money? And so he knows that medicine has to involve money, but what about healing? What about taking healing, privatizing it, bringing it to the home, so that not only does it not involve money, but the person who's healing the other person has an overriding personal interest in a positive outcome. Whereas now, your doctor may be concerned about you, but if you die, guess what? He doesn't die. His family member doesn't die. It's not really a big interaction. I mean, the, the impact on him is... Uh, Pretty, uh, pretty trivial. So, making um, making a situation where healing has to involve money, that has created a situation, a, a negative one, a deadly one. And the thing is, again, what Dr. Kaplan says, and this is something to really key in on, has to involve money. And I'm not saying it should never involve money. What I am saying is it doesn't have to involve money. And when every single act of attempting to heal has to involve money, then there are some uh, perverse incentives, especially when it involves only money. That is a real problem. And says, but it doesn't mean we have to invoke a business framework when we're trying to make decisions about how to best serve patients. And again, when he says business framework, what he means is lowering the status of the doctor to a provider, lowering the status of a doctor to someone who has to produce a beneficial outcome that's accountable. And he does not want to see doctors lowered to that standard. That's so what I'm saying is you have an individual who's responsible for the third leading cause of death, I think adding an element of responsibility would be incredibly safe for the patient and would make a huge positive difference. So, what's the problem? Or what's the solution? So, the problem is patients are not consumers. So what is a consumer? A consumer is someone who requires knowledge 
information, choice, which is the power to decide to consume or not consume, and along with that power comes the personal responsibility of paying for the service out of pocket. They've actually done many studies, medical industrial complex, by the way, that if patients had to pay out of pocket, health care costs would, be, would decrease by anywhere from 30 to 60 percent. And since the average um, hospital has a 5 percent profit margin, literally, hospitals across the country would close. Your average hospital would just be, boom, out of business, shut down, closed, done. So elevating the patient to the level of consumer would literally close the killing fields. And a lot of patients are afraid, oh, my God, I can't afford those big bills. That's the point. That is exactly the point. Since you won't be able to afford it, you'll live a lot longer because you won't be exposed to the third leading cause of death. There are people out there who are using condoms to avoid AIDS. What protection are you using to avoid the third leading cause of death, which is a medical industrial complex? It says the patient also is not making the decision. That means they don't have choice. They're not paying, which means they have no responsibility. It has no information, which means they're ignorant and can't even assess that they're walking into a deadly situation. They cannot be the consumer. So I think that for safety purposes, the patient needs to become the out-of-pocket payer for health care. Cash only. Needs to make the decisions. And needs to have more information. And most people confronted with a, a bill of $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 would say, whoa, 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 what, what else can I do? What's my alternative? And so that alone would save a lot of lives. Again, I often cite, and I'll cite it again, the Hispanic paradox in the United States. This Hispanic paradox is around right now, but won't last much longer because they're rushing to make sure Hispanics have health care. But Hispanics in the United States are fatter. That's called more obesity. They have less education. They have less income. They receive less medical care. And boom, 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 they live seven years longer than the average American. There you have it. So, what is it about these Hispanics? Well, first of all, they receive a lot less health care, but they live seven years longer. That alone, while we don't want to incriminate the health care system, we can say the health care system is totally unnecessary to longevity. The people who don't have it are living seven years longer, on average. And, that's, and, and are they living laid out in, in nursing home beds? No, they're not. They're living at home, actively with their families. So if we elevate the patient to the level of consumer, prices in healthcare are going to go down tremendously because what's going to happen is, you know, the, the price will be limited by what people can pay out of pocket. And so we see that here in Panama, for example, healthcare prices are like a third of what they are third to a fifth of what they are in the United States. Why? It's all the money you're going to get out of people. And drug prices, people literally buy one to two pills at a time. And if you're really rich, you might buy a week's worth of medicine at a time. What does this mean? People are missing a lot of pills. What does that mean? They're living longer than they would if they got their medicines. Uh, so lower prices for sure. Next, safer health care. Doctors would know they would not be paid in the event of patient death. So they wouldn't provide care that's futile of no use, and they would not provide care likely to lead to death. This is huge. You know, we have patients, I mean, with doctors in different specialties, <clears throat> which shall remain nameless, who provide health care or services they know are, one, of no benefit, and two, would even kill the patient or hasten their death. But they provide it. Why? They know they can file a piece of paper after the person is dead and get paid by the insurance company. In fact, um, when I was training in the hospitals in the 80s, if you had a patient who was critically ill, I mean, you could see this person was going to die in a week, you would call in all the consultants you could so they could um, see the patient and bill because the patient was going to die in a week anyway. 
You just wanted to make sure you got all the tubes put in, everything you could possibly do. Of course, cutting a hole in someone's chest, cutting a hole in their arm, all these things would hasten to death anyway. But the point is, because these doctors knew they were going to get paid, that's the way it was done. And when a patient came to the hospital in the old days, they would get an imprint card, like a charge card, which would have their name and their insurance information, room number and stuff. And literally, the doctor would take an imprint of that card on a um, 3 by 5 card and write down what it was he was going to bill for. And this was a major source of revenue uh, back then. So it would lower the price in healthcare. It would definitely make healthcare safer. And number three, better quality of life. People would have fewer invasive procedures done simply because they didn't have the money. And this is, uh, when you look at all these old people now, especially, who have at least one doctor's appointment a week, that one doctor's appointment is their whole life energy goes into getting ready for the appointment, calling up a relative or kid to help them get to the appointment. It's a huge expenditure of energy and resources above and beyond the price of the appointment. That's actually paying the copay is not even the biggest inconvenience of it. Although copays can really add up. When you have a copay of $26 per visit and you've got four to 10 visits a month, I mean, that's, that's a budget line item for many people. So, it's a major economic impact, but even time-wise, it's a major um, quality of life issue. So, there you have it. Now, the solution, of course, is to... Da -da -da! Become a consumer. This is huge, 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 huge. Uh, so big deal is become a consumer. How do you become a consumer? Number one, the number one thing to become a consumer is to pay for your health care cash. A lot of people say, oh, I can't afford it. Exactly. And who should afford the third leading cause of death? Uh, not a good idea. So... Uh, the important thing is to realize this is a huge realization for many people because they are so conditioned to believe that healthcare is healthy and that somebody cares. Right. So the name is exactly the opposite of what's going on. So what's going on is that Americans are being escorted to their death in a system that is authorized, accredited, and controlled by the government, among other entities. But if you put it that way, then people say, oh my gosh, well, I'm not, not going to do that. <laughs> so um, it has to be named something that will be uh, appropriately misleading. And this is what has happened. So, first thing is, nobody should consume any more health care than they've got cash in their pocket. And they probably shouldn't even be consuming that much. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, that is uh, that is the case. So, the first step to the first step to becoming a consumer in healthcare is to pay out of pocket. So number one, to become a consumer in healthcare, pay your health bills out of cash in your pocket. Maybe you could use a charge card. Maybe you could take a loan, whatever. But you have to make the decision to pay. At the same time, you make the decision to consume. Those two have got to temporarily, time-wise, be put together. Now what's happening is people pay their health insurance every single month for years and years and years and years, and then the decision to consume is separated from the decision to receive health care. But if you put those two together at the same time, boom, 
then uh, patients will be a lot wealthier and a lot healthier. Even people now who are paying their health insurance premiums, we know because of government regulation that 35 cents on the dollar that you are paying to your insurance company does not go to health care because that's the law. They don't have to spend any more than 35 cents on the dollar for health care. As we mentioned in prior um, videos, even casinos have to pay more than that. So if you really want to be able to pay for your health care, the best way is for you to not have health insurance, but to set aside what would be your health insurance premium in a fund of your choosing. And if you don't have the discipline to do that, or for whatever reason don't do that, what that means is you do not value that health care more than what you spent the money on. And that's a valid decision because your decision is your life. You should be able to spend money on what you value. So first thing, pay out of pocket. Um, the next thing is, once you pay out of pocket, demand the same level of information for your health services that you would for any other item that you consume. And you have to ask yourself, what do I want this health service to accomplish for me? And will it accomplish that? Most people never even ask those two questions. You never even ask those two questions. And because they never ask the questions, <laughs> the questions are never answered. And they end up receiving a service that is not going to give them the results they, that they had hoped for or had established or desired. And when this happens, of course, oh, everyone's surprised. And then the doctor says, oh, well, my goal was just for you to survive the chemotherapy. I'm just happy you're alive. Meanwhile, this person is, you know, in pain, peeing all over themselves, forgetful, <laughs> and a total burden to their family. They can't even wipe their own butt. So, or even worse, they can't show up for family events and celebrations, which is usually the reason most people get chemotherapy is because they want to be able to participate in family events, uh, and that goal does not get achieved. So what you want to do is you want to write down or know what is your goal, what is your outcome, what do you want to achieve as a result of this medical interaction or consuming this medical service. And again, that, that step is totally skipped. Why? Because the doctor is not, I mean, the um, patient is not the consumer. The insurance company is. The patient is not the consumer. The government is. So if you have Medicare insurance, if you have uh, Medicaid insurance, the government is the consumer. If you have a private insurance, the insurance company is the consumer. You are not the consumer, which means you don't have choice, <clears throat> you don't have a right or access to information. All these things change. But if you're the consumer, all of a sudden you can say, whoa, 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 <laughs> there's a lot of money. Uh, you're going to have to give me a little more information before I make that commitment. And just asking that question would save so many lives. Because the doctor would tell you, well, quite frankly, you're not going to be any better off. You're going to... This day before you start chemo is the best you're ever going to feel the rest of your life if you get chemo. Now, what doctor's going to tell you that, right? <laughs> they always going to tell you that. <laughs> this is as good as it gets. It goes down from here, man, because I'm telling you, when I cut, I cut deep. So the, since the patient is not the consumer, he doesn't ask consumer-oriented questions. The patient doesn't even see themselves as a consumer. Like, oh, it's not my money. I'm spending the health ins the insurance company's money. Well, where do you think they got the money from? <laughs> really? <laughs> so, again, we're talking about cash basis. And the thing to understand, too, is if you don't have health insurance, nobody can force you or compel you to get health care. So when a judge wants to recommend health care as, as a sentence, he has to actually check and see if you have health insurance. How cool is that? Uh, and similarly, if you have health insurance, then the doctors know they're going to get paid, and they're more inclined to go to court to force you to consume the health care because, of course, it's in your best interest. And again, you put the doctor in that authority position by him being, by basically what you've done is put this money in escrow that he can get just by showing cause. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be, to basically have already said in advance and almost yes to anything and everything uh, your car mechanic might come up with. So uh, 
Number one, to become a consumer, pay yourself, pay out of pocket. And this is actually irrespective of your income level. I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a kid, he's got ear infections chronically. The doctor visit might be 100 bucks, the antibiotic 150 bucks, and then the recheck visit in two weeks, another 100 bucks. All right. So that's a lot of money. It's like more than what one might pay. So we're going to put a commercial. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Please call 855-253-3748. 855-2-KEEP-IT-TODAY. Without the right accessories, any guy can be off the mark. Whether you've invested thousands in your arsenal or you own a single trusted firearm, a visit to aroutfitting.com is in order. It's one of the finest online selections of tactical optics and AR parts and add-ons, like EOTech, quick target acquisition with no peripheral loss. Browse the full range of Nikon scopes and binoculars. Aroutfitting.com can illuminate your world with streamlight gun-mounted lights from keychain to large handhelds up to 1,100 lumens. Find some stability with Battenfield Tactical Bipods. AirOutfitting.com has CMMG gun parts, barrels, assemblies, handguards, part kits, and more. Plus magful clips and magazines. I know I've got you excited, so take a breath. Head to AirOutfitting.com. The site's super easy to navigate and features a ton of technical info, including links to manuals. We also welcome vendor and manufacturer inquiries. Remember, if you don't see it, we can get it at AirOutfitting.com. Tired of being lied to by mass media? It's growing more and more apparent today that news is received less and less through standard media outlets. Even with a growing audience every day, RBN is beginning to direct more efforts into social media. Social media and the use of the Internet is fast becoming the primary source of people for news, regardless of demographic. RBN has set out to provide some of the best news on the Internet through republicbroadcasting.org and also has begun to use the tools to our advantage by way of social media. Republic Broadcasting is now operating a Facebook page to function as yet another avenue to have our collective voice reach new audiences across not only America, but across the globe as well. The Facebook page features not only news, but also an RBN player to listen to our broadcast. Get involved by visiting Facebook.com slash Republic Broadcasting and liking our page and share it with your friends and family because you can handle the truth. Dr. Daniels, and welcome back to Healing with Dr. Daniels. And we are talking about why you should become a consumer and how it could save your life. All right, so we covered the basics, but really the number one way is to pay cash for your medical services. And that will set in motion a whole mental, emotional process that will save your life, a process of questioning, a process of inquiry. And so many people, when a doctor says, oh, you need this, they immediately, boom, go into fundraising mode. No, 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 no. <laughs> so whenever you, like, let's say you need a car. Well, you got a budget. Maybe you have a budget. Maybe $100,000 for a car is not really, you just don't have the cash laying around. Well, then you say, well, wait a minute. Maybe there's other transportation. Maybe I could walk. Maybe I could use a bicycle. So a lot of other choices or options 
become considered that are a lot less expensive and will accomplish the same thing. As we talked about sexually transmitted diseases uh, a few weeks back, there are several of them that simply go away on their own. Uh, there's no need to go to the doctor or receive intervention or whatever. So it just being in the position of a consumer, if you just put a few steps between, ah, I have a problem, and let me access a medical industrial complex solution, then that will go a long way. The other thing that happens when you're a consumer and paying out of pocket is you ask a very important question, how much will this cost? People with insurance don't ask that question. So what happens? The co-pays and deductibles literally bankrupt them. So bankruptcy from health medical costs has actually increased with increased insurance because people don't consider themselves to be the consumer or the responsible economic party, and they end up literally bankrupting themselves. So um, you might as well assume the role of consumer since you're already there anyway. It's just, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just something that's being concealed from you. So the fact that your doctor has competing, competing interests, that he's an agent of other entities, not your agent, is concealed from you. And the fact that you are actually the response, economically responsible party, again, it's concealed from you through a series of insurance company payments. And again, you think the insurance company is dedicated to paying your bills. They are not. They're keeping 35% off the top. And in some states, they're authorized to keep even more of that. So it makes no sense to hand over a dollar bill when only 65% of that dollar is even available to pay your health care expenses. So it makes more sense if you are dedicated to such an, uh, to financing the third leading cause of your death to just put aside the money on your own. It'll go a lot further. Alrighty, we are ready for questions. Yay. Okay. We've got questions. So Marissa says, <laughs> I'm going to make it a ritual to take my turpentine and shield it with you every Sunday. Yes, it's an excellent ritual. Uh oh, we're going to commercial. I saw you there. Just standing there I thought I was only dreaming, yeah I kissed you then And then once again How healthy are your arteries? Deteriorating circulation has a number of early warning signs. High cholesterol, high blood pressure, fingers and or toes often go cold, arms and or legs often go to sleep, sharp diagonal crease in the earlobe, short walks cause cramping or pains in legs, memory is not as good as it used to be, ankles swell late in the day, chest pain after physical exercise or emotional stress. If you experience even one of these symptoms, your circulatory system is crying out for attention. Extendivite is a natural solution to help improve your overall health. Extendivite is not your average heart tonic. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com or find us on Amazon. Extend your life with Extendivite. Listening to Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. truth, truth.